Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. What do you have in mind? That's our question for today. What do you have in mind? The things of God or the things of man? Verse 33 of our gospel lesson for today. That's what um, Jesus says to Peter. You do not have in mind the things of God, mm. but the things of man. So what do you have? And as you answer that question, what do you have in mind? Things of God or things of man? Why do you say what you say? Mm. As you think about that, I'd like to just kind of unpack that for us. The things of man have to do with trying to find our identity in our performance and accomplishments or what others say about us. Mm. Also, seeking fulfillment in what the world has to offer. Mark 8, 36 and 37 says this, but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Mm. You know, there's that saying that's told the pastors that, that no one that you go and visit on their deathbed ever wishes he had spent more time in the office. <laughs> they do usually regret not spending enough time with family or other things that are yeah. more important. I, I'm reading a book called Margin by Richard Swenson. He says, you know, our, our nation, our culture has this idea of progress but the idea of progress is very interesting. It usually has two components, material and cognition, or a mental ability. Do you know what it misses? Our culture oftentimes misses the mental component, as far as just mental health, social, relational, and spiritual. So we might be driving to know more, and we might be driving to get more, but I wonder what we're losing our focus is on the things of people. Hmm. What can a man give in return for his soul? Great question. The things of God have to do with following Jesus by denying himself, taking up my cross, and losing my life to find it. Hmm. Also, having my mind on the things of God have to do with answering the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? That's a great question. Jesus is the prophet foretold by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Jesus is not just a king, but the king who came from Abraham, just as we heard about in our Old Testament lesson today. If Jesus is the Messiah and our Savior King, mm -hmm. then our identity is to flow from who he is mm -hmm. and what he has done for us. What he has done for us through his perfect life, death, and the cross and resurrection. But that death part, the suffering beforehand didn't fit in with the thoughts of a promised Messiah. Hmm. So Jesus tells people not to tell anyone. And then Peter rebukes him. Now, that takes quite a bit of nerve, doesn't it? <laughs> to rebuke Jesus? Hmm. I'm kind of surprised when I read that. And as I was reading a, a message by Timothy Keller, he shares an idea in a, one of his previous sermons. Listen to this. When Peter hears Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and that entails suffering, not just for Jesus, but most surely for him, Peter, he's curious. Why? Well, because Peter has an agenda. Mm -hmm. The agenda led from strength to strength. 
It didn't have on it crosses, and it didn't have on it suffering. He had an agenda. He thought Jesus was going to get him to that agenda. And when he sees Jesus is not going to get him to that agenda, he rebukes him. Mm-hmm. But look, you can't have Jesus in your life like that. In that case, your agenda is the end, and Jesus is just the means. You're using him. But Jesus is a king. Mm-hmm. You can't come to a king negotiating. With kings, you lay your sword at their feet and you say, command me. Hmm. Just that little idea there about agendas that Peter, that Keller says Peter may have had in mind. That shows us the contrast between having in mind the things of man and the things of God. Hmm. The things of man is, Jesus, do what I need you to do because I'm ultimately king and you are my servant. Whereas the things of God say, Jesus, you are king. What do I need to do as I live under you in your kingdom? Also, when you have in mind the things of God, not the things of men, we ask the question, who is Jesus? And we see he is the son of man. That's mentioned early and then late in our gospel lesson for the day. But this isn't simply talking about Jesus, who is true God and also true man, son of man. As we look at the end of the passage, we see, let me just read that to you again. On, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Well, what is that referring to? It's referring to something that happens in Daniel 7. The Son of Man, the Son of Man, is actually pointing not to Jesus and his humanity, but Jesus in his divinity. And he will come one day with his angels, as we're hearing about here in Mark 8, to judge. Listen to this. In Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Hmm. And he came to the ancient of days, that would be God the Father, who and was presented before him. And to him, this son of man was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Hmm. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So when you hear Jesus saying, the Son of Man, I want you to hear him say, I'm king, I'm God. I'm one of those kings who come from Abraham who will live and reign forever. My kingdom shall always endure. That's our Savior. That's the one from whom we get our identity. Do we live out that identity? We are royalty under Jesus, our King. Do I have in mind the things of man where I'm judged by my accomplishments, how many letters are behind my name, what I've done, what I can do to serve someone else, what I can do to meet needs, or do I identify myself, do I understand who I am based on this, based on who God makes me in Christ? Mm. Lent is such a great time for this text because we wish to have in mind the things of God as we reflect on our lives and repent. We repent for our own agendas and having our minds on the things of man rather than God. When we have our minds on the things of God, it changes our perspective from merely a temporal one to an eternal one. Remember how this Son of Man kind of brackets the meaning we have for the day? And when we think of the Son of Man as God, as the King who will rule and reign, and one day will live fully under Him in His kingdom, 
that helps us to think longer term than just right mm -hmm. Also, it changes our perspective, not merely from temporal to eternal, but how we look at things in the world as we find our lives flowing from who Jesus is. Mm. I have to tell you, I just was looking before church. I saw something online. I haven't checked it out yet, but I, it's very interesting. It says, deep fake videos of Tom Cruise show that technology's threat to society is very real. So what they can do now is through artificial intelligence, through other things, they can actually take some pictures, that's a video that we have of somebody, and actually make that person say or do things that they don't say or do. Yeah. That's what I, I read the whole article, but that's what it seems like they're doing. Ooh. Does that not frighten us? Yeah. Can you imagine? What is our perspective? We should just go dig a hole and hide in it, right? <laughs> Or we can go confident as royalty, mm. praying against stuff like this mm. that would get in and cause havoc in our land. We find our lives flowing from who Jesus is. Looking at the epistle lesson, we see that we can be people of peace, peace with God, peace with others, Peace with ourselves. Do you ever struggle with that? Yep. Do you ever struggle just knowing that you actually have peace with God? Do you struggle in your relationships with others having peace? Do you ever struggle with just accepting who you are? There are times that all of those are true for me. <laughs> we can, because we are justified in Christ, we can then see everything, even what our epistle lessons for today said, even suffering differently. Hmm. Also, we can see life differently. I enjoyed this story from the book Unoffended by Brent Jansen. It's a, it's a little longer, but I just love his style of writing and, and the points he makes. Please, please hear this story. Again, a different perspective. I once took the high schoolers from our church to King's Island a big amusement park by Cincinnati. It has a giant, inexplicable facsimile of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I told everyone to meet me at the giant, inexplicable facsimile of the Eiffel Tower at 8 p.m. <coughs> I was very insistent about this. Kids, you need to meet me by this giant, inexplicable facsimile of the Eiffel Tower <coughs> at 8 p.m., I said. Don't be late. They seem to understand. But one of the chaperones did not like this plan. <laughs> he was the church organ player. Very round, late middle-aged, egg-headed guy with glasses and a pocket protector who was known for being proud of his Bible knowledge. I could tell he did not like my plan because he grabbed my arm when no one was looking and told me to my face that I was being too rough on the kids. And if I did it again, I'm going to beat the blank out of you. <laughs> I found this scene odd. I was 24 and kind of nervy myself, sure, but the flabby church organist guy was grabbing and threatening me right here on this hallowed ground between the Turkey Leg Depot and Hanna-Barbera land. <coughs> Round organ man thinks he can beat me up? Really? And it's because I actually have a rule about where to meet? I can't believe it. It's an insult to my leadership and my masculinity. Plus, he cussed. I had two options for dealing with this. Option one, just call my wife and laugh about it. Option two, 
but it bothered me deeply for, oh, about eight years. Mm. I opted, of course, for option two. That's because, and I hope I'm not being too technical here, I was stupid. Uh -huh. I'm serious. It bugged me for years. There are people who said I should have flattened him on the spot, but that would have been unwise. Plus, I'm not sure I could have. It would have been messy, and the people in a theme park type environment saw two nerds <laughs> flailing at each other next to the turkey leg depot concession stand. I probably would have just thought, I guess Kings Island does this every night at 7.30. <laughs> anyway, it bothered me for a long time. And my point is this. Deciding I'm not going to let people offend me will make for a far more restful life. Yep. How about for you? Is God allowing you to have a different perspective? Because the people who sin against us, we're one of those people. Mm. Have you ever had, been driving down the road? He gives him another example where he's pulling out of his, his gym. And he gets kind of close to the center. He's, he's pulling out. And someone pulls in. Turns a left-hand turn to pull in. And he says, geez, what an idiot. <laughs> because he got too close or something. Okay? Then the next day, he's pulling left in, and someone's sitting right where he was the day before. And as he's pulling in, he's saying, geez, what an idiot about the other guy. <laughs> do we ever do that? Yes. Do we ever have people in our lives who do things to us, even hurtful things, really hurtful things, and we're so stuck on being offended by it, hmm. we get caught up in angst and anxiety and unrest and hatred and a ruined life a long time because we chose to be offended. He said, I'm not perfect at it, but I've gotten a lot better. Mm. One of the best ways that we can actually show forth that our minds are set on the things of God and not on the things of man is by instead of being offended. And yeah, don't we live in one of the most offended nations in the world? Yeah. <laughs> if anything happens, somebody's offended by something. <laughs> okay? I drove on the road today. Somebody was offended. Okay? I put gas in my car. Somebody was offended. Okay? <laughs> it's just interesting. It doesn't really matter what it is. Just we've lost our ability to be civil. Yep. And we've lost our ability to see ourselves as fellow sinners and to love and forgive one another. Hmm. Because when I have that new perspective made right with God through Christ, it allows me to live a new way. And is it painful to forgive? No. Yes, it is. It is? Even oh, yeah, if it's... Like, funny, huh? If Sarah does something... Oh, yeah, Jesus okay, has to it. And I choose to forgive her, I pay the price. Okay? It hurts. It's painful. When it's really bad, it hurts really bad. Hmm. Or, I could just suffer with anger and bitterness and hatred for 20 years or longer. Yeah, I think, actually, that hurts worse. You see, Jesus gives us a gift, not only when he forgives us, but when he gives us the gift of forgiveness to pass along to others. Hmm. That's having in mind the things of God. Hmm. One other one. When I think of the things of God, it shows up also later in Peter's life, not just here. In Acts 10, I believe it is, when he sees a sheep being let down from heaven with all sorts of animals in it, and he's told by this voice to kill and eat, but he can't because he's never eaten anything unclean before. Mm -hmm. God tells him not to call unclean what he calls clean. Yeah, then right. God brings others into his life, into Peter's life, to bring him to some Gentile, Cornelius, some outsiders, his family, to share the gospel message with them. 
I'm reminded of the following story when I think of that. Hmm. Again, a new perspective. Listen to this. In the book, Messy Spirituality, Mike Iacondelli tells a story about a small group of American soldiers during World War II who sought out a burial site for one of their fallen friends. They were pulling out the next day and were hoping to bury him in the fenced churchyard cemetery nearby. As the sun was setting, they approached the house next to the church and knocked on the door. The priest answered. They asked him if they could bury their friend in the cemetery. I'm sorry, he replied, but that's only for members of our church. The priest went on to tell the soldiers they could, if they chose, bury their comrade near the cemetery, but on the other side of the fence. So they, so they were saddened, but had few options, so that's what they did. The next day, they went to visit their fellow soldiers' gravesite one last time before moving on. When they came to the churchyard, they were shocked. They couldn't find the grave. It simply wasn't there. One of them went to the parsonage door and knocked. What happened to the grave we dug? One soldier asked when the priest answered, It's not there. We did it last night and it's not there. It's still there, the soldier was baffled. You see, last night I couldn't sleep, the priest confessed. All I could think about was what I told you, that you couldn't bury your friend inside our fence. I regretted that, so last night I got up and I moved the fence. <laughs> In your life, what perspective change helps you to move the fence? Mm. When you're thinking of the things of man, you're like, you're excluded, you're not part of this, you're out of my life. But when I look at the things of God and how he's forgiven me and welcomed me and accepted me, you know what? I move the fence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what fence in your life needs to be moved? Let God, let Jesus walk with you to do the heavy lifting. It's too much for you. Amen? Amen. Amen.